Hi, folks. It's Rabbi Sharon Browse here. You are listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. I wanted to just say a couple of uh, words before we close tonight, just given the state of our country and the world um, and some some thoughts I have uh, that I want to share connected to this week's Torah portion, Parshat Ve'era. Moshe and Aaron, Moses and Aaron approach the enslaved Israelite people and they are broken in body and in spirit. And they tell them that the redemption is near. But we who are reading the story, we know that that redemption is only going to come after 10 horrible plagues decimate Egypt. These are plagues that are so devastating that the will of Pharaoh and his people is finally broken. And he cedes to Moshe's demands that he let the people go. Now that seems like a very simple and clear narrative thread. This is the story of an evil empire that's brought to its knees as divine punishment for the cruelties that it visited on generations of vulnerable citizens. And yet I wanna share with you tonight an insight brought by Sforno, 15th century Italian rabbi, who argues that we have to be clear that these plagues were never designed to be punitive to Pharaoh or the Egyptian people. They were intended to awaken the conscience of Pharaoh and the people, to help them see the truth that they could not see before. In Exodus chapter seven, it says, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and visit great judgment upon them. And then the Egyptians will know me. They'll know that I am the Lord. So what was the reason why God brought these plagues? What was the intention of this campaign of shock and awe? The idea here was to wake Pharaoh up. It was to poke his conscience, to help him decide of his own free will, to change his ways and to follow a just path. God didn't want to give up on Pharaoh, that he might take the effect of all these plagues and he might actually change. Those plagues were designed to inspire Pharaoh to repent, to make tshuva, to get better. And that's why it says repeatedly in our Parsha that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It was hardened after almost every single plague that we read in this Parsha. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he couldn't hear them. But really, Sforno explains what was happening was God wanted to make sure that when the Israelites were liberated by Pharaoh, it wouldn't be out of impulse or out of fear of punishment or retribution. God wanted to elicit in Pharaoh and in the people a true change of heart. God wanted those people to realize that they were wrong. God wanted Pharaoh to take responsibility and then make amends and chart a new course. Now, this is really interesting for us because actually, our story is about the oppressed and the enslaved and ultimately the liberated. So why does Pharaoh's state of mind, why does Pharaoh's posture matter to us so much? Because it is clear from our Torah 
that the objective of this effort was not only the liberation of the Israelites, but the liberation of the Egyptians too. The liberation of the Egyptians from a failed moral narrative that had allowed them to enslave other human beings in the first place. True redemption required not only the transformation of the oppressed, but also of the oppressors. And Pharaoh and Egypt were offered a chance to become a part of the greatest redemption story ever written, to move from being corrupt oppressors to collaborators and co-conspirators in building a new society that would be rooted in justice for every person. But that would have required a real change of heart. Nine times, God signaled the need for an honest reckoning with Pharaoh's past behavior. But again and again and again, Pharaoh failed to wake up out of his fear-fueled, greed-driven slumber. Now, maybe this should not surprise us. I hope you're all reading Timothy Snyder these days. I've been studying him closely over the last five years. He's been writing these last couple weeks about the big lie. This is a fiction that is created by authoritarian leaders that separates them and their followers from reality and from the rest of the world. And once you become intoxicated by the big lie, it's extremely difficult to pull away from it and tell the truth. At some point, you can't even tell what the truth is. Pharaoh built an empire on the big lie, the big lie that the Israelites were a dangerous internal enemy, a fifth column that, need, that, that threatened his insatiable hunger for power and, and, and profit. And that big lie allowed him to oppress and enslave and degrade and even murder because you'll do anything for the big lie. And no lice or locust swarms or even pandemic could convince him otherwise. Because in the words of Jonathan Safran Foer, no amount of noise can awaken someone who's fake sleeping. The thing about the big lie, though, is that if you fail to awaken from it, it will destroy you eventually. And it will likely destroy everything around you, too. Sforno argues that it was only after it was only after the first nine plagues failed to awaken Pharaoh to see the error of his ways that God ultimately determined that Pharaoh needed to be punished because at the end of the day, justice needed to be served and Pharaoh wasn't going to get there on his own. So the 10th plague, which we'll read about next week, that plague came with such a swift fury that there was no house in the land that was left untouched. The trauma to the collective system from that 10th plague was blunt and it was unforgiving. But after all of those warnings, those first nine terrible plagues, there was simply no other choice. I've been thinking so much about this story this past week amidst calls for healing that have come from some of our elected officials in the wake of the violent insurrection on January 6th. You've heard these calls. They say things like, Seeking punishment would only further divide our country. And calling political opponents Nazis does nothing to bring us together or promote healing. And this kind of vicious partisan rhetoric only tears our country apart. And it's long past time for all of us to try to heal our country now. Let's move forward. And the fact is that healing and unity, those are things I believe in. Those are lofty and admirable aspirations. But we have to be very clear right now 
The path to healing and reconciliation leads only through truth-telling and accountability. There is no healing without acknowledgement of complicity in a system that is rooted in greed, cruelty, and supremacist thinking. Pharaoh and the taskmasters had a chance to awaken to this truth. After the blood in the Nile, their sacred life source was tainted with death. They had a chance after the frogs. They had a chance after the boils. But again and again, their stubborn persistence led their society to the brink of collapse. The calls today for healing are, are cynical. They are politically unsubtle attempts to shift the narrative, to refuse to accept responsibility when real harm has been done. I wanna be very clear that the call of our time is not to subdue the fierce yearning for justice when we have been harmed in the name of coming together and healing. God did not tell the Israelites to quiet their hunger for liberation so as not to stir up disunity in Egypt. Our responsibility is not to reduce tension to the heart of our collective body. Sometimes a healthy tension is needed in order to create a just and a loving collective body. I wanna lift up tonight the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, whose life and legacy we mark this weekend. And one of my favorite sermons that he ever gave in 1955, which you've probably heard me preach about before called The Death of Evil Upon the Seashore, in which he writes about this week's Parsha. He writes about Pharaoh's hardened heart and he says that it revealed to us a great truth about evil. These are Dr. King's words. Evil never voluntarily relinquishes its throne. Evil is stubborn, hard, and determined. It never gives up without a bitter struggle and without the most persistent and almost fanatical resistance. In the aftermath of insurrection, Someone asked me this past week if I believe that some people are irredeemably evil. I do not, but I do believe that some ideologies are irredeemably evil. And when those who hold those ideologies, who benefit from them, who perpetuate, from them, perpetuate them, who profit off of them, when those people are given the chance, time after time after time to wake up, to change their heart, to grow, to adapt, to change, to repent, but they stubbornly refuse. They, like Pharaoh, will inevitably pay the price. Evil never gives up without a bitter struggle and without the most persistent and almost fanatical resistance, Dr. King said. The demand for justice is an act of resistance against evil. It was true back then, and it is true today. From the time of Pharaoh until January 2021, justice is the only response to supremacist thinking and supremacist violence. Accountability is the only way to move forward on the path toward healing. That is my message for you on this Shabbat before the inauguration. Hi, it's Mayim Bialik, actor, neuroscientist, e-car member, and lover of all things Jewish. Do you like what you're listening to? 
please consider donating to ECAR so that we can continue creating more podcasts and fulfilling our mission of harnessing untapped energy in the Jewish community to reanimate Jewish life, embody moral courage, nurture the spirit, and work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Why don't you visit our website at ecar-la.org and give today.